Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. My name is Alan McPherson. And this is episode 76 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 76, as you heard from our intro, we are pleased and honored to welcome back a uh, repeat guest, uh, Alan McPherson, to the podcast from uh, all the way on the East Coast in the uh, Metro uh, district. And we are going to be talking with Alan about something that he is sharing and putting together, which is extraordinarily cool and extraordinarily exciting an adult quiz league. And then Scott has some really cool questions for me and marked questions to go through. And then we've got some sort of philosophy and theory around, I think, coaching or, or competitive differences or, or best things for quizzers as they go through a competitive spirit. So we'll see how the show kind of progresses from there. But to top things off, let's start by talking with Alan. So Alan, welcome back and tell us about AQL. Uh, thank you for having me, as always. Um, adult quizzing is kind of your fault, to be honest, Griffin. Uh -oh. uh, you created vo virtual quizzing. And while we are probably going to be doing it for the foreseeable future in many of our districts, um, it opened up the opportunity to have adult quizzers, uh, whether they're retired quizzers, which is the makeup of most of the roster, and we actually have a few quizzers who've never done quizzing ever participating with adult, um, adult quizzing as well. So that's super exciting. But you creating virtual quizzing kind of lended itself to us being able to have this platform for a bunch of retired quizzers from all over the country and up in Canada to dust off our memories and see if we can get this going. So we're going to do a full quiz season starting on Halloween and go all the way through the first week of June and memorize all of Matthew and see what happens. That is awesome. So registrations, are they still open for Halloween or, or when do you close those? Uh, yeah, yeah. We can, I'm thinking of leaving it open to the 24th. I, I don't know if we'll get any extras because we've had a lot of different branches branch out to see who's interested. But we are, we pretty much have enough quiz masters that if we have more teams, we can just have someone else quiz master. And as you know, from all the craziness we did with leading internationals, if you have the quiz masters and we have enough quizzes, we can have as many rooms as theoretically possible. That's really cool. So how many, how many teams, and, well, actually list before that, um, how do, how do people sign up in terms of like, do you have to form a team? Are you scrambling teams? How, how does that work? We, so uh, Grace Daigle from Western PA um, and I have been coordinating this and we formed teams and we had Jeremy you know well and michael green up in canada from cmd just do a once-over from people that they recognized um just to see we kind of broke up who are the best of the best quizzers on paper and then we put them all on separate teams and then we took a second tier and placed them on teams and then we scrambled everyone else and put them together so we tried to make the teams as even as possible to not have too many top heavy quizzers on one team and new quizzers or quizzers who didn't have international meet success on a team. We tried to make it as well-rounded and even as possible, which I think we did. So teams are scrambled 
Um, and then we have open slots for any other quizzers who may not have signed up yet to be put on one of those teams. Very cool. So um, are the teams then basically, I mean, barring any sort of major changes or, or impacts, mm-hmm. the teams are basically locked for the season then? They are, yes. Cool. So then let's see. So if if somebody is listening to this podcast um, and is curious about signing up or, or either either registering for themselves or at least just learning more about it, how would they go about doing that before the 24th? Uh, emailing me is the easiest way. Uh, I check my email constantly. So Alan McPherson Jr. at Yahoo.com, A-L-L-E-N. M-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N-J-R at yahoo.com. And then once I get any email for anyone who's interested, we can move forward from there. And if there's someone who actually wants to participate, we can make it happen and make it work. Very cool. So what's the, um, is it a one-day meet, a two-day meet? How are you running things? We're doing a one-day meet um, because with adult quizzers, there's obviously a little bit more responsibility that they would have you know whether they have kids or whether they have jobs that they have to attend to so we're planning on doing saturday mornings um for about two and a half to three hours we'll run three quizzes and then put them put the top three quizzes uh, excuse me the top three teams into a final to see who wins that meet and then we'll just do that all the way through um until the end of the year when we'll plan something bigger for a year end type thing. We just wanted to start it off relatively simple at first, just to get through a year of it, because this is something that I would like to be done in perpetuity. That would be awesome. I would like it to be done in perpetuity as well uh, for a number of reasons. That's, uh, that's really exciting. Um, so, so same material distribution, same rules, same everything is, as the regular quizzing? Yeah, it's, uh, it may be different material distribution from quiz to quiz. Like our first meet is going to be from chapter one through chapter four, which I think is a little less than others are doing, but we're going through to memorize the same exact amount of material as everyone would be in any other district. That's totally awesome. Well, Scott, you have any questions? Um, I don't think I do. I, I think this is totally awesome. I'm, I am so excited to see this happening. I've for many years, I think since like the nineties, I've been saying, well, if quizzing is good for youth, if memorizing the Bible is something that youth should do, then I think it's, you know, just as equally true that adults should do it too. And of course, the moment I say that, uh, you know, probably uh, 60 plus percent of the adults in the room kind of cringe and kind of look <laughs> at, at their at their feet and kind of like, uh, 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 you know, kind of stuff, because, you know, it is a time commitment. It is an, an investment. It is, you know, there's a, a non-trivial amount of effort that has to be put in uh, to to make it possible. But I think the the rewards are so incredibly huge. Um, both for the individuals, but I think for uh, the collective church in the sort of the greater sense of the word church, uh, that we're becoming um, increasingly more knowledgeable and aware of, of scripture is just nothing but a good thing. So I'm I'm super excited and um, it bums me out that I can't um, participate in the first meet. Um, my daughter is a complete and total nut for um, <laughs> Halloween 
Um, she plans her Halloweens out years and years in advance. Um, and like this week she had, or earlier this week, she actually spent two days practicing being in character. Um, so she was wearing a mock costume of her character and actually pretending to be that character for two, two straight days. Um, because she takes Halloween that seriously. And so, um, daddy needs to participate in Halloween, but otherwise I would be there. So on, on the Saturdays, when you're starting, well, you said in the morning, um, mm -hmm. you know, you've got East coast people, West coast people. Yes. What, what does morning mean? And, you know, you, you were saying about, you know, three plus hours to run through things. Um, when do you guys plan on starting and, and how many quizzes each team gets in prelims before you run to brackets and how do you run brackets? Yes. Yeah, so we are thinking of 10 PM, well, 10 30 PM Eastern, start times which would be 7 30 pacific if it has to be a little later um that's a little bit in the air now uh we'll do a gauge of everyone who would be on west coast time um so as you call it the best time zone in pacific i know one of my teammates is so <laughs> I, I'd, I'd like him to be at his peak but i'm sure that he will be so but we're, we're planning on starting there everyone's going to have three you know, we'll just do three quizzes for everyone, and then whoever the top three teams are after that will quiz and just a quick finals, and we'll see how that format goes for the first meet. See if anyone wants more quizzing. I don't. We, we won't do less, but we don't want to overwhelm or take all day doing it. We just want it to be so. How Metro does it? To be honest, we do three quizzes per team, and then we'll do a finals, and then we'll wrap for the day. So that's kind of where that structure came from. I know that there are other districts who meet less often than Metro does. We meet once a month, while other districts only meet maybe two or three times a year, maybe even uh, you know up to four or five. We meet monthly. So that's why we do the amount of quizzing that we do. And our schedule for adult quizzing is based off of that to where we'll have a meet once a month. So we'll do three quizzes plus a final for the top three teams and keep stats throughout the year. Um, I sent Scott the roster, uh, and there's some there's some intense, heavy-hitting former quizzers here. So it should be very competitive but very fun still. That's awesome. So if somebody wants to... Uh, not participate, but wants to observe, uh, you know, and I would certainly recommend quizzers, uh, youth quizzers, if you have the opportunity to observe, you probably should. Uh, I, I mean, given the sort of people who are packed into AQL right now, it would be a good uh, learning experience to see how they quiz. Um, how would somebody go about doing that? So I utilize your Slack channel and we're going to have, we have an adult quizzing channel there that a bunch of people have been invited to so anyone who wants to follow along with the schedule will drop in links to quizzes in that adult quizzing slack channel so that any quizzer wants to follow there i know most of our listener i said our most of you the listenership for the podcast um is either on slack and if they're not um then I think I'm planning on having quizzes recorded so that people can watch back and have a little channel where we just upload all of our adult quizzing quizzes so that people can watch that way too. But as far as broadcasting, I haven't thought anything about that. I don't know if we'll get into that just yet, but we'll definitely have a Slack channel for adult quiz days that people can follow along with. Very cool. Very cool. 
Well, any last things, any anything that I missed in asking you questions about AQL that you can think of? Uh, not that I can think of. Um, I know you won't be there at the first meet, but I know that you've uh, offered your services for other meets, which is awesome. And anybody who will be emailing, you don't have to email just for quizzing. If you want to score keep, if you want to, you know, just figure out what about quizzing is so cool if you want to do quiz mastering anything that you want to do involving this i'm up for anything so but that's all i have i think we've touched on everything that is awesome all right scott well do you want to pick up our next topic so my next question is just a discussion question and it is when considering the kind of health and sustainability and longevity of a district quiz program what role does the I guess call them the top tier of quizzers, Phil. So the quizzers who will spend a lot of time studying and will be competing for your end-of-year kind of all-star teams, internationals teams. Like, how important is it to have, I guess, what I guess what role does that tier of quizzer play in um, the longevity of a district? Longevity. Def- uh, well, okay, so before you said the word longevity, I had an answer in my head, but then the word longevity kind of freaked me out a little bit. So describe what you mean. Mm, I'm trying to think myself of what I mean. Um, I guess my question is, um, let's just talk about scoring so that we're not throwing around more subjective terms like ability or motivation. Um, Do you think different distributions of types of scoring quizzers have any impact on um, how a district might grow or regr- or um, shrink over time? In terms of their actual scoring, maybe a little bit. I think when you see, there's there's sort of a dual, uh, you know, a double edged sword here. You know, I think when you when you're seeing really really good people, right? So like, there's been times in the past where, and not even too terribly distant past. In PNW, where there've been, you know, as you've said, PNW, as probably every district, kind of waxes and wanes in terms of uh, quality. And there have been times at certain apexes of quality where the top 10 or 15 or even 20 uh, quizzers have been really good. And in those cases, the top five quizzers are really, really, really good. And that has, it's sort of a double-edged sword on, uh, you know, on one hand, it's pretty inspiring and motivating to be able to see that, like, this is not a terribly uncommon thing that, that, you know, really anybody who puts in the time and the effort can get to that level. The flip side of that, the other side of the sword, if you will, is that, you know, if you walk in as an, as a rookie and you're watching a championship quiz at a district level, and you've got 12 people on the stage, all of whom are, let's say, you know, certainly in the top 15, if not top 20, and they're all ridiculously good, it can, in some ways, not be demotivating, but almost be disheartening to see sort of that gulf between where you might feel you happen to be as a rookie and where some of those, you know, quizzers happen to be. So in I, I think the scoring does play a role, but I don't know that I, and of course I have no data or science behind this at all. This is just me kind of making scientific studies up in my head as we go. I, I think there is a, a small factor that scoring does play both in terms of motivating and sort of disheartening at the same time. But I think what matters more 
and and as a bigger influence are the attitudes of the people who are in that I don't know whatever you want to call it that top tier and and it and it's and it's different right top two people top five people top ten people top twelve people it, it sort it it varies from year to year to year um, but whoever happens to be within that top echelon of of quizzers within a district their attitudes how they approach quizzing how they interact with each other how they interact with other quizzers especially rookies that can have a profoundly positive or unfortunately sometimes negative uh impact on uh the the health of a district because i mean when you've got folks who are at that high level they they certainly set a sportsmanship tone that is beyond the capabilities of leadership in the program, adult leadership within the program to to take to that particular level, right? So I think leaders, leadership in, in programs at a district level, district leaders and coaches have a very high uh, responsibility to encourage good sportsmanship. And they, they can get 80% of the way to amazing sportsmanship by their contributions. But that last 20% is something that I think only quizzers can give to quizzers. And I think it starts with the folks who are in that top, I don't know, call it 20% of, of, of the quizzers in a district, top 15% of quizzers in a district. And at that, based on what those people do, how they interact with each other and, and, and other quizzers uh, really can set the tone for other quizzers thinking, hey, this is a really cool program. I want to come back. I want to stick with it. I want to try to find other people and and recruit them into quizzing versus feeling either disheartened, disillusioned, disinterested, and so forth. Do you have any thoughts, Alan? Yeah. So Metro itself being a smaller district, uh, the top quizzers have a lot more bearing on how everyone else goes. Um, but it, it, it's 100% an attitude issue. If the top quizzers are carrying themselves as top quizzers and worried more about their scores or their stats than they are being good role models as far as what quizzing is supposed to be fellowship-wise, then you can have amazing scores, but a district that's dying. So that's not... That's not what's happening with us, but I've seen it happen over the years where there's a lot of really good top quizzers who leave the district and the district thrives because they're they're not being hindered by someone thinking that they're bigger than quizzing. And then there's the other hand where there's top quizzers who carry themselves like they don't worry about all, at all about their stats. There's a lot of quizzers that way who help keep a district motivated and exciting where people want to be like that quizzer because of how they carry themselves, not because of how they quiz. That's very interesting because my theory has always been that um, since competition drives everything, if you don't have um, either a certain number or a certain percentage of somewhat high proficiency, then there's just there's not a sense of life and excitement um, around the district as a whole. Right. I totally agree with that. Like, I think there needs to be, call it a, a critical mass of, of quizzing, right? Like, I think in a district, there needs to be a certain level of, but it, but it can be a fairly small number, right? But there does need to be at least a handful where a handful is, you know, two, three, four people who are at, at least attempting to memorize most, if not all of the material. 
and egging their teams on, pushing their teams to try to get better and better. Um, you do need to have that. Otherwise, there's sort of an energy hole that happens. And so, like, you know, back many years ago, uh, PNW ran uh, regional meets as well as our, our full district meets. So we would have full district meets, uh, but occasionally a couple of maybe two or three times a year, there were meets that were because our, our, our district was large enough back then we would have. Uh, we would subdivide and have either two and sometimes three regions quizzing at, at in one weekend kind of thing. And um, that was really great for a while. But as the district got smaller, we ended up having to cancel those regional meets. And a, a lot of it was because sometimes the regions would get together and there was there was a missing critical mass moment, you know, kind of stuff. So the regionals became really boring um, and sort of low energy when they weren't, you know, a few years before. And then, of course, when you get everybody together for a district, the energy level was there again. So I think there's there's some kind of minimum level. I don't know that it's really about the, the absolute number of quizzers, though, but it's probably the the number of quizzers at that sort of performance level that are sort of driving expectations and driving the energy. I could see that. I think I'd agree with that. It, might, it just might be a little bit, little bit lower than I might think. Well, with you, you know, both being from PNW, who has notoriously been an upper echelon district um, as far as international meets or, you know, meets where you compete against other districts, do you see that being something that drives your district are your top quizzers quizzers who help motivate your district and help with the longevity of it i think absolutely yes but i don't know scott what do you think um it's a good question because i definitely do not think that like internationals results are a good proxy for district strength or um, mm. district health right um so i wouldn't just say like oh look at the standings internationals and those are the healthiest districts like i don't think it it's it maps that way I think what I am coming to see is there's probably some minimum level of either proficiency or, I don't know, I guess ability that um, it's the, it is that critical mass that Griffin talks about that lends to excitement in the district. But as far as longevity, I don't really know. Like, I don't know how much it's top quizzers recruiting, quizzers recruiting, um, just natural ebbs and flows of things. You know, I don't really, it, it would be hard for me to point to something. That's fair. That's fair. I ask because, you know, looking at international stats may not be it, but if you look at international stats and, you know, out of the last 10 years, how many top nine teams do districts send and do, would you consider those teams who have the most to be strong, solid districts? I think for the most part that airs on the side of being true versus the one-off districts who may have a really good international result once or twice but don't otherwise. Sure, but I think there's a difference between determining how, how strong a district is, how healthy a district is, and what were the things that made it that way. Right, okay. <laughs> um, and I think specific actions by, by humans or leaders in a district have far less impact on prolonged health of a district than we might think. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah I think that's very true. I, well, sort of. I, I think that's true and also not true at the same time, depending upon who those humans are, right? So I totally agree. It's it's almost never up to one person and it's almost never up to 
even a small number of people, whether they be district leadership, coaches, or quizzers. I think it's a combination of a lot of different factors. And I think there's also factors in play in terms of what's happening in beyond the specific quizzing district itself, right? Um, so like we're dealing with antivirus situations right now that are putting a rather significant damper dampener on on quizzing this season um that's totally beyond anybody's control inside quizzing and and that's absolutely having a huge impact uh, on quizzing i think certainly at the church uh, district and international leadership level and i'm not talking about inside quizzing i'm talking about beyond quizzing right if you have pastors support generally speaking supporting quizzing versus being either ambivalent to quizzing or even antagonistic to quizzing that can be a a factor um and i can I, I would even go so far as to say it can be a not trivial factor right um and we can see this in certain districts where if a district has district leadership support outside of the district i'm saying the leadership in the churches outside of the the quizzing leadership if they are supportive or promote quizzing that can have a contributory effect to the health of the district itself um, the health of the district i don't think is a one-to-one -one for the quality of the internationals team that's i think is way too individualistic uh, to say that so in other words you can have a mildly you know let's say a uh, mid-level uh, health district can actually uh, produce a very competitive internationals team as well could a very healthy and large district. But I think generally speaking, the healthier the district, the easier it will be for them to produce a strong internationals team, but not necessarily always so. I guess what I'm thinking about is I remember when I ran the district and I would have um, either parents or coaches or other people um, – either question or complain of how much of the resources of a district were, were focused on the top 10, 15% of quizzers, be it number of quizzes, um, quizzes in the main room, uh, money spent on awards, uh, budget for end of year trips. And to me, um, it was always resources well used because I saw that as the only Thing, keeping a district alive is, I mean, I guess it's more the general um, competitive structure that is incentivizing everybody to memorize more than they otherwise would. Um, but I think that's more where my question is coming from now that I have thought about it more. So you're asking more about like alloc budget allocations, uh, you know, should, should it be the case that internationals is such a huge, you know, line item in PNW's budget? Is that kind of what you're, what you're saying? Yeah, you know, 80% of the monetary budget is spent on internationals, and um, the top quizzers probably end up quizzing 30 to 40% more than um, other quizzers. And, you know, we only give out awards to the top, you know, we give out achievement awards, you know, things like that. Sure. Well, I mean, when it comes to awards, I think it's totally appropriate. I think we should award uh, high, recognize everybody's effort, right? But But provide awards to those who are the top achievers. I mean, that's, it's a sport, right? Um, we're not whole, uh, we're not giving out, you know, participation trophies and we're not giving out gold medals to people who didn't get first place. Um, that's just the nature of 
you know, a sport and, and I'll, I'll say it, I, I joke about it with, you know, Bible quizzing memes and so forth that Bible quizzing is a sport, but I truly believe that it is a sport by every definition. Um, so, you know, it, it, it fits along those lines in terms of budget. It bothers me and annoys me that 80% of, of the annual budget is internationals. It shouldn't be that high, but there isn't a way around it. Right. I, I think internationals should be cheaper than what it is. Um, you know, and Alan now being on the CQLT, I can go hint, hint, and you know, Alan will do his best, I'm sure, to try to lower costs there. Um, I don't want to increase the cost of everything else either. I just, I, I don't like the fact that, that internationals is 80% of the budget, but I, th I don't think that that is the way it is because anybody sat down and said, we ought to have 80% of our budget, uh, tailored or, or earmarked for internationals. I think we do it simply because that's the reality. It just costs that much and we're not going to not participate because it costs that much. We still think it's a good idea to do that. Um, certainly I'd like the cost to go down, but I, I don't, I don't think the, the, I think the reality is driving the budget rather than the budget driving reality when it comes to this sort of thing. But in terms of focus, in terms of energy, I, I think internationals is a really good thing to have in terms of motivation uh, for a lot of factors. I think it's a really good incentive for folks who are in that upper echelon to keep them driving uh, toward something. Uh, and so I wouldn't want to do away with internationals at all. I think it's a really positive motivator. But I would say that from my perspective, the ministry of Bible quizzing is at the district, right? Our goal is to get the most number of quizzers to memorize the most number of verses. And I think we can do that by leveraging the value add of internationals. But the greatest value to our mission is the ministry that we're doing at the district level. I agree. That's fair. That's really interesting. I never thought about the large budget spent on internationals being purely out of necessity and not necessarily um, a top-down, like, chosen way forward. But it's almost kind of have to. Interesting. I think, I think it became uh, that I think way. That's fair. Yeah. I, I, yeah I, I, sorry, Evan, go ahead. No, no. I I think it's one, you know, close to 100% necessity over wanting it to have to be that way. You know, there's districts who can only send one team because of financials and there's districts who can't send a team sometimes or there's quizzers who can't go because there's districts who don't have internationals budgets and parents have to pay for it and they pay for god knows how many more things throughout the year so budget does become more of a necessity than we want to allocate this versus we have to allocate this yeah, and this this kind of lends itself to why I have been so outspoken against the idea of tying internationals up with a required participation in some other conference. Um, because I, I think that if you if you increase the cost for internationals, it is simply doing harm to quizzing, uh, and it, and it's not a good idea. I think I think it's basically taking a loan out on the equity that we've built in quizzing over the years. Agreed. I like that analogy. All right, the next topic we have is on marked questions from PNW's virtual um, scramble, non-scramble meet. So CBQZ has a handy feature where you can mark a question for edit um, and provide notes if you wish. And it is I, I like going through those at the end of the meet 
and having discussions with them among the PNB officials, but we also love talking about them on the podcast. So we will dive in. The first question is from Matthew 218. The question is, what is heard in a Rama? And the answer is a voice. So that's the written question and answer. And it was marked with the comment, shouldn't the answer be, or shouldn't the answer include the entire verse? And I'll throw it to one of you. Hmm. A voice is heard in Rama weeping, weeping in great, great mourning. mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. What is heard? Yeah, mm. I can see. I can see the argument. I don't know, Alan. What do you think? Um. So what is heard? Shouldn't that be the whole verse? So if it's the whole verse, wouldn't that then lend itself to being a multiple answer reference? Um. Potentially. So I think to that one. I think of. Mm, do we think a voice? <laughs> Is one thing being clarified by weeping and great mourning, or do we think a voice, weeping, and mourning are distinct things? But if they're See, considering think... the, the whole verse, the whole verse includes the Rachel weeping for her children as well. Yeah, and see, that's why I think the voice that we hear is Rachel weeping for her children, weeping and great mourning, and refusing to be comforted. Like, like I think it's a singular thing. I don't think it's a multiple mm. answer. I, I think it's a, it's a single answer with lots of clarification happening, right? So you could you could say, turn turn this around and say, what if the question was, uh, what voice, right? And of course, it would have to be a chapter reference uh, so that to, to make it key. But let's say it was chapter reference, what voice, uh, it would include everything in the verse except maybe the is heard in Rama, right? Um, and I could even see the argument of, of including that, right? Um, so if we flip that back to the original here, what is heard in Rama, then yeah, I kind of think the, the whole verse is, is, uh, is part of the answer or could be, or could be, I don't think there's anything wrong with the question as written where it simply asks for a voice, but I think it could also legitimately ask for the rest of the verse. Yep. That's exactly what I think. So the question I think is completely valid as written. Um, but if you wanted to write the answer to include more information, I think it would also be valid as a single answer interrogative question. But again, this is something I feel very strongly about. Unless you think that the information being requested for is incorrect for some reason, or the amount of it is just like super terrible, uh, I leave the the choice and the discretion to the question writer, and then the quiz master um, should read it at completely as asked, as written. Right. Yeah, totally agreed. Now, that being said, I think there is a value to noting, like, I'm not sure who marked this question, but whoever did, uh, I, I kind of like the fact that it was marked because they're not necessarily saying it's incorrect because it doesn't include the rest of the verse, but they're asking the question, uh, shouldn't it or should we include the rest of the verse? And in a in a way, this is a this is a, a way that quizmasters in the moment can not necessarily say this question is invalid, but maybe there's a way to make this question even better than what it is. And so, you know, in that way, the fact that it was marked, I think, is a good thing. Yep, they they are definitely asking, could it be better? Um, and I'm actually on that one. I'm I'm torn. I think it's fine as is. It's a little awkward if you include more. Um, so the next one looks like it's very similar. This one is a multiple answer. A voice is heard in Rama, how? With the answer being weeping and great mourning. And the comment was not valid as is. Better to ask what is heard. And so I think we kind of covered this one, that the thing that is heard is a voice. And it is, cl so that's a single answer clarified 
multiple ways, which would not would which would make what is heard not a multiple answer. But I think this one is as written. Hmm. Wait, so you're saying the way this one is written is a multiple answer and is valid as written? Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. It is definitely a little awkward because, I mean, no one ever talks like this. Um, like, how is a voice heard in Rama? Um, right. We're, it, we're obviously writing it so that we get the multiple, so we can write a multiple answer. But I think it's fine, especially because of it, it doesn't start awkwardly, right? We just start with a phrase from the material. And I'm fine with the interrogative part being a little bit awkward. Yeah, yeah exactly. All right, this next one is super fun, actually. So from Matthew two twelve, there's the interrogative "What route?" with the answer being another. But um, in Matthew three ten, there is the also unique word "root," and "What route?" could be pronounced "What route?" Um, and so I believe it would make both this question and the potential what root from Matthew 3.10 both invalid as interrogative questions. I love this. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. I love this situation because like, yeah, it, it's sort of like you can pronounce root, route, route, root, and depending upon how you pronounce it makes it invalid versus valid. So yeah, I I would never have noticed this, but I totally, I totally see how... Uh, this should be an invalid question. You marked it, Griffin. I did. <laughs> I'm You're not GS, that smart. I, I am GS, but I am noticing that in fact my initials are marked on this. But I'm not. I'm not smart enough to have marked this question. Somebody must have logged in as me. I you love this because enough credit. <laughs> it reminds me of the Hebrews chapter 11, where there are two chapter reference words: past past and past passed. Right. So um, those would be invalid as chapter references from that chapter. But I don't know if I've ever run into um, two unique words that are homonyms, but different words. So this is kind of awesome. So quizzers, if you hear either of these, and of course it has to be just the one one word question, um, then you can challenge and say it is invalid because it is tricky. There is no way for the quizzer to narrow one down. Now actually, Griffin, could... Could what route be valid if pronounced that way? If pronounced See, and that, that, and that's question. the problem. That's the problem, right? So, if pronounced route, it is a perfectly valid question, right? The problem is how do you ensure that the quizmaster pronounces it route as opposed to root, right? And so you're you're right. If the quizmaster pronounces it root, it is absolutely challengeable and should be challenged. If they pronounce it route. Well, is it challengeable? Like, arguably no, but golly, I don't like that. Well, I don't think it's challengeable because then the reason that it would be invalid and misleading literally doesn't exist. Sure. No, see, and that's the thing. Like, from a quizzer's perspective, it is not, I don't think it's challengeable if pronounced ra uh, route. But the problem is I want it to be quizmaster challenged <laughs> because I don't want the, I don't want the risk of a quizmaster pronouncing it root and not, and not knowing, right? So a quizmaster, let's say a quizmaster, uh, you know, gets mm. this question uh, pulled up and they normally pronounce the word root, they wouldn't think anything of uh, that would be a problem with it, right? And let's say a question editor going through the system, it, they pronounce it route. And so they look at the entirety of the, of the question set and they would look at this and go, this is fine. 
And then we end up with a problem because, you know, the quiz master pronounces it root, thinking that there that the quiz editor has gone through everything and, you know, gotten rid of anything that would be ambiguous in these cases, right? So I, I almost want there to be like a, a quiz master or official or or somebody could not challenge, but like challenge the question, but not the outcome of the question. It's very interesting because I see where you're coming from, like it is totally understandable for a quiz master to read it in a way that this is invalid and you wouldn't want the onus to be on a quizzer to have to challenge it to not be asked an invalid question. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so, I mean, it reminds me of, I would want, whenever I wrote questions, I would mark questions where the, um, if there was an interrogative word that was the first word in a question, but it was a word from the material and not the inserted interrogative word, because those are read different ways. Like if I'm reading what man, I would say what man, but if I'm reading what man is this, I don't say what man is this, you know, you kind of read it in a more flat inflection way. And so I always would mark it so that I read it correctly. And this is almost another one of those like notes, right? <laughs> like you should right. read this a certain way as a quiz master, but there's not really a, an avenue to do that or, a, you know, a consistent way. So this kind of brings up in my mind a potential interestingness with pronunciations. So is there a geographical implication for the difference between route and route? And if so, what would that be? And beyond that, is there a Canadian versus U.S. difference in pronunciation that would potentially cause similar situations as this to show up? That is very interesting. Alan, do you live in New Jersey or New York? I'm from New Jersey, live in New York. But I guess regardless of where, there is strong accents from both um, geographic locations. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're based on ways of speaking, there could be interesting pronunciation things that arise only ge geographically. Yeah, definitely. Like, I'm memorizing I memorized it as by another route. That's how I quote it. So, so I mean thinking about the stereotypical things that Canadians say, like a boot instead of about. Right. I mean, I mean, does the phrase a boot exist in the quizzing material somewhere? Um, well, and to be fair, no. boot is pronounced differently than I, and I can't even, I'm not Canadian, so I can't do it. Right. So there's a difference between boot B O O T and about without the a, right. The Canadians actually pronounce those two things differently, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it justice. Like it's, it's not, it's like a, it's a it's an O sound that that Americans don't make um, that that is is unique to Can uh, Canadians and and so I can't pronounce it but but we wouldn't run it we wouldn't run into that problem with with the actual word boot. Interesting. Well, because of this, we want everyone to email iq at cbqc.org with any weird things that you've heard or funny situations that you think might arise because of homonyms or accents or anything of that nature. Should we move on? Yeah. yeah, this is a this is a fascinating topic because I would love to know where what regional differences would would come into play with this one, and like this could have some very interesting implications. Now, and granted, it only really works for very you know keyword only questions, but it is very interesting. And I remember from you know quizzing at, at Great West with Canadian quizmasters, and it was always a point that was brought up within PNW is these quizmasters will say things in ways that you are not used to. And I always remember being prepared for it and it never being an issue. So like even close to an issue, like there was never a time where I was like, what did they say? Oh, that's right. They're, they're 
from Canada. I don't even remember that. So, all right, next one, Matthew 4, 9. This is a chapter reference, chapter only reference. According to Matthew chapter 4, I will give you what? And the answer is all this and all this clarified to all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And you mark this one, Griffin, asking, is the clarify required? And I would actually have a secondary question, which is, um, is this actually a multiple answer reference? Mm, Okay, so I'm working backwards. So multiple answer, that is very interesting. All the so assuming this is required to be clarified, um, we'll we'll deal with that one later. Um, All the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Yes, I think I think that I think that is a multiple answer. Um, So is is all like this is the pronoun, right? That's being clarified. Or right. So, but isn't, can this be a plural pronoun? Well, yeah, I think, I think, so this is the thing. Like, if the answer is all the kings of the world and their splendor, I think that part is a multiple answer. But if it is based on a clarification of a pronoun, then I don't think it can be a multiple answer, right? So, like, um, although, well, okay, so. That's why I'm let's asking, say the, is the, the pronoun itself a plural pronoun or a singular pronoun? Well, let's flip it around and say the answer is they, right? Um, You know, they went to the Sea of Galilee. Who went to the Sea of Galilee? They, right? And we say clarify they, okay? Um, And it was Peter, James, and John or whatever. Um, Okay, so is that a multiple answer? I don't think it is. I think the word they is the answer that you're then clarifying, but I don't know if it actually takes it to the the realm of calling it a multiple answer like and again i I don't have the rule book in front of me i'd have to go look it up but i think that's definitely a multiple answer i i love multiple answers i would find that to be a perfectly fine one i actually so from your guys's perspective clarifying the clarification of the pronoun can cause it to be a multiple answer it's not causing it to be well, I guess you're right, because if there was no clarification in context, it would just be a single answer. But the, exactly. rule book says the, the, the rule book says the clarification of a single answer or identification of a singular pronoun is not a multiple answer. So I think this is the identification of a plural pronoun. Okay, so essentially you're inferring because the rule book explicitly says singular pronoun is not, therefore a plural pronoun is, right? So then like kingdoms, right? Um, let's say uh, you've got uh, uh, Israel, Egypt, Judah, uh, and Babylon, right? Are the kingdoms mm-hmm. of the world or something like that, right? And the the answer is kingdoms and you want it to be clarified for some reason. Uh, kingdoms is plural, um, but it is a single word. And if you don't clarify kingdoms, it's not a multiple answer, even though kingdoms is a plural. Correct. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I can, I can, I can live with that. I think the rule book should be, um, amended to be more explicit, but I can, I can, I can agree with that. So then are we down to, you're asking, is the clarifier required? Which we've, we've yeah. kind of hit, hit through other questions. Yeah. So then, I mean, this is a pronoun, so sure. Um, Let's see here. I'm going to skip down to our last one and then come back. So the last okay. one is from Matthew Matthew 4.21. It's a multiple answer chapter reference. Jesus called whom? Answer being them, clarified to two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And um, it was just marked with a standard 
uh, comment. But I'm wondering if this was marked because there was question over if this was a multiple answer, mm-hmm. um, which we would have just covered. Yeah. Because them is a plural pronoun. And so the clarification of a plural pronoun would be a multiple answer. Well, it's definitely, it contains an error in the sense that um, it's not using square brackets and it's using curly brackets, which of course, uh, not curly brackets, it's using normal parentheses as opposed to square brackets, um, which of course in normal human world is completely fine, but in CBQZ, it needs to be square brackets. And of course, anybody listening can't see that. Um, Only people who are looking at the question can see that. So that might be the error there. Who knows? Let's see. Moving it to square brackets, auto text works, and I think we're good. Yeah. So, so actually, you're right. That could have been the, the sole reason that this was marked. So then moving to our last one. Um, this is already resolved, but I'll hit it anyway. From Matthew 4.9, bow down and what? Worship me, clarified to the devil. And there was some question over if me was a pronoun, but me is a pronoun. But that leads me into the next thing is, um, what is a pronoun? And I think if you Google that, I mean, pronouns are just substitutes for nouns. And um, depending on what you read on the internet, you might find a very giant list of pronouns, or you might find a much smaller list of pronouns. And I think this just shows, like, yes, quizzing is on English, and grammar plays a part, but there are many places in grammar that are not 100% black and white. And the definition of a pronoun is absolutely one of them yeah so like i was just pulling up the wikipedia page and under their examples like i love you i and you are pronouns uh that reminds me of something that pronoun me pronoun something pronoun and i would have never thought of something as a as a pronoun but i guess Mm -hmm. if we have something in a question we could actually ask for clarification of something yep so indefinite pronouns are one, other, none, some, anybody, everybody, and no one. So no one, there's a two-word pronoun. And it just shows how, I mean, there aren't tons of opportunities where anybody is referenced and there is a clarification to a, a more proper noun in context. Like, that just all, doesn't happen in English very often. But it, it shows that there might be a lot more things that could be valid to be clarified than we think. Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, a question is never invalid if it could have clarification and it's not required. Correct. Right. You are not. The question writer is not. Well, the question writer is not required to ask for all clarifications. And but beyond that, all clarifications are not something that is required um, to be counted correct. So I I generally fall back on whatever the question writer wrote. I'm going to ask. Now, if the question writer wrote an answer and it's he is the answer, and there's an obvious clarification. Would I change that in the moment? Uh, I probably wouldn't on principle, but I would want to. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mark the question at that point. Yep. That brings me to another point of English and grammar, which is what defines either the beginning or the end of a sentence. And anywhere that I have searched on the internet, it defines a sentence as a complete thought with a subject and a predicate and never makes any mention of punctuation, which is very problematic when it comes to what is a valid finish this question, because mm-hmm. we want it to, to arise um, at quotation marks or after a colon or after a, a hyphen or something like that. And punctuation is no part of the definition of a sentence, but the start of a valid finish this defines it by the start of a quotation or a sentence. 
Yeah. And I mean, so, I mean, yeah, if you go back to the Greek, the Greek didn't have punctuation. Um, I mean, there weren't periods at the end of sentence that sentences, um, quotes aren't in quotation marks, you know, all that stuff came much later in the evolution of, of language. Well, at least certainly in, in Greek anyway. Um, so, I mean, in a lot of cases, they didn't even have spaces, you know, between words. So it's, it's like, forget the punctuation. They didn't even, they didn't even invent space, uh, between words yet. Um, so all of that is a, is a modern, well, for some definition of modern, a very, very broad definition of modern, uh, a modern invention, um, that's been added over the text to add clarity, uh, and translators have to make judgment calls when they're, they're looking at that, that stuff. Now, granted, a lot of the times the, you know, the judgments are fairly easy to make, but nevertheless, it, the translator is still adding that layer, uh, uh, into the text now. So, so from that perspective, it, it annoys me that I can't have a clear objective answer for what is a sentence. But on the flip side of that, we do quiz out of the NIV, a specific version of the NIV and not any other translation. And so therefore we can say, yeah, where the, you know, the quotation marks happen to be or where commas are, where the periods are, you know, in sentences and so forth. Yes, that is, you know, a, uh, the college of NIVites sitting down and making choices about where those things are going to be rather than something that is from the original text. But we are quizzing on the product of the NIVites, not the original writers of the material, uh, or even the, the, the various monks who translated it or, or, or kept it in, in good, uh, good order, uh, over the passage of time. So as a result, I, I, even though it annoys me a little bit, um, you know, as, as a, as a translator myself, I mean, a non-professional translator myself, I, uh, I am comfortable saying that yes, when it comes to quizzing, we are in fact, part of quizzing is, uh, making choices and making rulings based on, and making questions based on what ultimately comes down to NIV trivia. Yeah, I remember um, I finished this from Hebrews 8 that began after a colon, and it took me aback because I was only prepared for finish this as that started after a period or at a quotation mark. And it's situations like that that maybe over time some things get, get accepted as a valid way to write a question, um, but we kind of don't want those things if they're not going to be um, like automatically known for everybody, Like, right? Like if any if any amount of how the questions are written as valid is tribal knowledge, it is problematic, as you say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would be okay with saying finish. This is must always be in quotation marks, but if we were going to do that, it must be in the rule book, not tribal knowledge. Um, yeah. And it might also be helpful to talk about, um, direct versus indirect quotations because, um, the rule book talks about direct quotations from scripture, but I don't think it was intending to, to differentiate it from an indirect or single quoted saying. <laughs> and right. that's also problematic because I know there are people that don't think that um, references to Old Testament quotations, um, that part of it should be um, valid for a finish this, which I, I could see. Yep. Do we have time for our last one? Or Yeah, go for it. So my last one, I just out of the blue thought of this, which is as a quizzer, how, how would you optimally answer questions? And for, and you can go by type, but for this discussion, 
the studying part of this is out of scope. So we're assuming whatever a quizzer knows, they know, and they are preparing to, or they have jumped on a question of a given type. And like, what are the components that lead to optimally answering questions and giving yourself the best chance to be kind of correct? Mm, Alan should jump in here. I'm going to take a backseat to this one. <laughs> um, so you're saying you know what you know, you jumped on any certain type of question. Is this like a certain type of question or just uh, in general? Um, you can pick. I mean, I think there are things in general that are good, like facing the quiz master, speaking with volume, enunciation, right. speaking into the mic. So you can hit on those sorts of things, or you can pick a specific type and say like, oh, for references, it's quoting backwards, or for um, finish this is and finish the verses, it's making sure you don't go into the next verse. You know, like right. any any and all of that, I would be interested in your thoughts on wherever you want to take it. Right. You touched on a lot of them. Um, my main thing as a quizzer was my thinking process is different from my answering process. And a lot of quizzers that I've seen kind of merge the two. If they're walking back and forth or they're standing with their hands on their heads, with their head down, they'll start answering the question that way. It's kind of, my biggest thing is 30 seconds is a lot longer than you think it is if you're prepared. So if you're a prepared quizzer and you have your material down 30 seconds, is an eternity if you have enough information it's almost it's a matter of if you get up on a question and you get enough information to make it key answering it correctly is a formality and so for a finish the verse question you know if you get the verse you know i'm not going into the next verse that's not why i wasn't counting correct i said something wrong or if it's a cvr you're going to work backwards in increments where the question, if you're asked what's your question, makes sense for what you provided there. Um, but pretty much if you get up and you get information that is valid information that makes the question key, it's a formality to answer. My biggest thing is 30 seconds is a lot longer than you think it is. So treat it that way. Do you find that quizzers like panic or start saying things before they like gave it a second or two thought or yes um and it's i've seen it happen to even really good quizzers they'll get up and something sounds key to them and they'll just start saying what it sounds like versus taking three to five seconds to think about what they heard before answering and then you're getting stuck on your first answer is now the answer and you're going back to your seat knowing that if you gave yourself a second or two more you have a correct answer versus an incorrect one. I think that's really good advice. There are very few question types where um, time is of the essence. I think reference questions and paired keepers questions would be the two where you do kind of have to get down to brass tacks very quickly. But for the rest of them, you can probably say the complete question and answer in under six seconds. And so giving yourself the 10 seconds to make sure that you heard what you heard and you are thinking in the right place and you can replicate what you heard in that location before you start answering. I think that is great advice to kind of get your bearings. Yeah, it helps. It helps. We do a drill with, um, with our international quizzers to where they'll get up and answer a question and they have to also guess how much time went by um, before they answered. And to see what they say versus what the reality is, is 
always surprising. You know, if they'll get up and they'll answer a question and have 23 seconds left, and they, in their mind, they have 10 seconds left. And that shows That's tremendous. Yeah, you, you just, you allow yourself to really see how long 30 seconds is, especially if you're prepared. 30 seconds is an eternity, because you're taking 10 seconds to think about something that you've probably quoted hundreds of times over the course of a year if it's for a big meet or if you're trying to do well at a meet allow yourself to get up and you know you can do that at home quizzers can do that they can have a timer for themselves and they can ask themselves quotes and they can quote and see how long it takes them to quote a verse and they can realize how much time they really have got a random thought you want to interject griffin well, I mean, not, I don't know about random, but I mean, I'm certainly what you guys are talking about, about time uh, compression or expansion, you know, cerebrally, well, not cerebrally, mentally, uh, something that is gets experienced by pilots a lot. Uh, the FAA talks about this in safety seminars and the NTSB talks about this uh, as a, as a factor as well. There was a crash of an air airliner back in mm. the mm-hmm. late, oh no, it was the eighties. I think it was a crash of an airliner in the 80s, although I could have the decade wrong, uh, in the Portland area, Portland, Oregon area. And it was they ran out of fuel uh, and crashed in a neighborhood. And the reason they ran out of fuel is because they put their gear down on approach and one of the, the lights was burnt out uh, inside the cockpit, right? A little, you know, 50 cent light bulb, right? Um, that, that was b- behind the gear indicator. And in, and so they, they, you know, uh, diverted and flew around the neighborhood a a while to try to diagnose what the problem is. And, you know, uh, they raised and lowered their gear a bunch of times and they were trying to figure out, is the gear really down and so forth. And all of a sudden they ran out of fuel and crashed. And it was, fortunately, you know, a good number of people survived. um, But unfortunately there were some fatalities uh, involved and it really came down to, uh, and I want to say they were up in the air for like half an hour. I mean, it was, it was quite some time, but they did not, they did not realize that they were up in the air for that long diagnosing the problem because their focus was on that thing. And so this sort of time dilation expansion thing happened. And I think similarly in the same context, uh, but invertedly, you know, you can jump and answer and think, uh, especially when you're talking about like quote two verses that are, that are two particularly long verses. And you think like, wow, I got to get through this really quickly. And the quizzer will get through both verses in seven seconds. Um, and the quiz master can just barely keep up. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> it definitely, it definitely can be eye opening to be aware of what those time differences really are. So since I wanted to start this discussion after any notion of studying, I think there are a lot of things a quizzer can do to improve their chances of being counted correct, um, that are completely under their control. One is making sure you remember the content that the quiz master has already said, whether it's the reference to a quote, whether it's um, the situation questions that are being asked for, whether it's the the one syllable start of a reference question, which is massively helpful. Um, all of that, you should make sure that you are remembering. Otherwise, you are forgetting free information. Um, beyond that, just making sure that everything that you say is heard and enunciated well, because um, it would suck if you were saying correct stuff, but you were not able to be understood. Another one, and a lot of these apply to more experienced quizzers because 
I understand being either shy or intimidated or a little bit scared in your first few meets. So it's not like awful if you don't do them, but these are just things that you can do to improve your chances of being counted correct. Another one is not saying stuff. Um, if you've jumped and are not counted correct right now, then your worst case scenario is the current one. You'll be, you'll get the question wrong. Um, saying material cannot put you in a worse situation. <laughs> you cannot be more wrong than not being right right now. So, um, like just say more material. And once you have started saying material from a specific verse, um, if you stop and are not being counted correct or incorrect, like again, silence is terrible. Like keep saying more stuff from that verse. Um, at that point, a terrible thing to do is start saying stuff from a completely different verse far away. Um, but I definitely see quizzers just stand up there and say nothing or say a sentence and then don't say anything. And a lot of times it looks like they're looking for a prompt from the quiz master, but um, nothing a quiz master is going to prompt you with will be useful to you, right? If they haven't counted you wrong, then they are saying more without saying it. Um, and so just keep giving material. I find that there's a, a large fear that quizzers have of being wrong. So that leads them to what you say. They just don't say anything. And that is, I, I don't, uh, that was never a problem for me. So I don't always know how to correct that problem within quizzers that I've coached, let alone quizzers who I haven't. But there's this fear of being wrong that they'll just not say anything and then go back to their seat sometimes having the right answer in their head and being afraid that it was wrong and not saying anything. Yeah, there are times where a quizzer triggers their light and they didn't mean to. And so I call on them and they're like, oh, I didn't mean to. And then they get it right. And it just shows that you know more than you think you know. Right. <laughs> and just, just like say the material. One saying that I, that I had was uh, the only quizzers who air out are good quizzers. And then when there were some PNW quizzers who just decided at Great West to try to air as much as humanly possible, I had to amend my statement, which is the only quizzers who air out <laughs> are good quizzers and quizzers that were once good. <laughs> I like but that. I was always meaning it to be an encouragement to quizzers, right? Like you think of quizzers, oh, if you air, you're bad. But it's like the only quizzers who get to the point of airing out are the ones that know enough to be jumping that much. And so like it's a good thing. Like it's yeah. not something to be scared of. 100%. At, at my best, I either quizzed out or errored out. I didn't like being in on question 20 and not <laughs> affecting the quiz either way. And sometimes you error out. That's what happens when you put yourself out there that many times. Yeah, totally normal. I don't think we've hit an exhaustive list or anything close to that. Um, so, of course, we'd love people's thoughts and other things you can do to optimize your chances of being counted correct once you are at a quiz meet and have jumped on questions. And you're like, what are what are those principles that you can rely on? But I think I think that's the end of our topics. All right, cool. Well, and on that bombshell, I will close the show. And as Scott pointed out, we very much would like to hear from you. Please email us at iq at cbqz.org. Uh, iq for inside quizzing at cbqz.org. Uh, if you agree, uh, but even especially if you disagree with anything that we have said, we'd like to hear from you. Or if you have ideas for other topics or anything else that you'd like covered on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our account there is at Inside Quizzing. And if you want to chat with us in almost kind of real time, you can do so on the Bible Quizzing Slack channel at, uh, or not at, pound symbol inside dash 
quizzing. And with that, I will say thank you, Scott. And thank you, Alan. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for having me as always.